0: Welcome to Making Room on the Pew, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. This is a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts, the people, the gatekeepers of the faith love to keep out. Here we talk about building a fully inclusive church with the people who are actually out there in the world doing the work. Join us to learn more about experiences and perspectives different from your own while we create the church we are all longing for. Okay, friends, today on the podcast, we have Kat Armis. Kat is a writer and podcaster who is passionate about theology, coffee, and the ways the two intersect. She is currently living in Los Angeles, California, and is pursuing a Master of Divinity and a Master of Arts and Theology at Fuller Seminary. Kat and her husband own a coffee roasting company called the Running Over Coffee Company, and their goal is to provide the best cup of joe while building deep and meaningful connections with farms and communities overseas. So today, Kat and I talk about egalitarianism, about how Kat actually left her previous uh, conservative seminary over egalitarianism, um... We talk about Latinx studies, a little bit about Latino culture um, and how that has impacted Kat in her studies. And we also talk about how Kat doesn't hate Paul. She just thinks he's maybe a little misunderstood. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kat Armis. All right, Kat, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: I'm excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you today. Great. So I gave you a short like professional bio at the top of the show before we began recording, but I want to give you the time and the space to go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your work, especially if people are new to you, they haven't connected with you before.
2: Yeah, it's totally okay. So for starters, I'm a Cuban American from Miami. I'm second generation Cuban. So my family immigrated to the US from Cuba in the 60s. Um, and they were fleeing just the, the political turmoil that was there, the Castro revolution. Um, so that definitely shapes a lot. I mean, the majority, obviously, of who I am, I grew up in Miami. And so Miami, I don't know if you've ever been, but it is like a haven for Cuban for Cuban people. Um, I mean, you get there, and it's like the majority of people living in Miami speak Spanish, and and so it, it, I mean, in a way, it was great for my family coming from Cuba to kind of just you know hang out in Miami and and build. Uh, sort of just like a, I mean, there literally is a, a place called Little Havana. So it's almost like a little mini Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was a bubble for them and consequently for everyone else, you know, for all of us born from them, um, because we were really in our own little world. And so a big part of just who I am is kind of leaving that world and leaving my bubble that is Miami and moving to the deep south and <laughs> to a very conservative. <laughs> fundamentalist seminary and just kind of figuring out, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. So I'm a minority. All right. Cause you know, you don't, I didn't notice that or feel that, you know, growing up. Um, And then, yeah, another part of, of, I guess just kind of makes up who I am is that um, I didn't grow up in the church. And so that was something that I came to Christianity or I just came to kind of get to know Jesus in my early twenties. And so that kind of making sense of, you know, and, and when I became a Christian, it was very much so in that very fundamentalist, you know, conservative world. And so kind of stepping into that and then stepping out of that, you know, and so a lot of my writing and a lot of my work comes from from that perspective of just being a daughter of immigrants. And also, um, yeah, just kind of waking up to to the fact that I am a minority. um, But also, I'm a privileged minority, even in that sense, because in Miami, you know, I didn't grow up um, with any sort of like racism directed towards me or any of that because of the bubble that Miami was. Um, And then yeah, just kind of stepping into a very specific context of evangelicalism and being like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, like what's going on here? Let's, let's work through this. So, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and kind of like the work I do. I speak from that perspective.
1: Awesome. Um, that's so interesting that you did not grow up in the church. I think you're the first person that I've had on the podcast who did not Like yeah. everyone else have, I mean, like, a lot of us grew, myself included, grew up in evangelicalism, and then something made us um, evolve into more of, like, a progressive liberal Christianity. So, like, for myself, like, I grew up in Ohio in the middle of nowhere in super, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, deep evangelicalism, and Mm -hmm. then I came out as gay, and, like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't work so well in that context. And so, like, That was my story of coming into, you know, a different sort of theology um, and a different sort of church. And I know that's been a lot of my other guests' stories as well. So I'm interested to know, I know you kind of hinted that you came to Jesus in your early 20s. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: yeah totally I think yeah my story is unique in that sense because a lot of people that um you know I interact with or a lot of people, like you said you know a lot of people in the progressive camp like it very much stems from growing up in that and then stepping away from that because of all the you know a lot of damaging uh theology and 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 ideas and all that but no I so my um my family they're kind of culturally catholic I guess you would say um my grandmother and I guess the older generation is is a little bit more devout catholic and so my grandmother you know she i did grow up with her taking me to mass and things like that um you know but it was just it was just something that kind of everybody did you know everybody in a lot of people in miami are catholic Mm -hmm. um culturally catholic i would say and so but my my mother and I grew up with a single mom for the first majority, like for the first part of my life, and so then she got married. Um, but they were not religious whatsoever. You know, didn't they? Didn't even really go to mass at all. I mean, they 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 didn't even really practice Catholicism. Um, but I always just kind of had that sort of spiritual bet in me, you know. And so I I did, you know, I I practiced. I tried getting into like Buddhism, and I tried getting into a bunch of other different religions, and you know, just kind of just seeing what's out there. Um, And my, my mom was very encouraging in that, which is so interesting because now looking back, so it's funny when, when I became a Christian in my early twenties and I'll get to how that happened. But when that happened, I started kind of looking back and thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, like I wish I would have been, you know, raised in a Christian home and all of that. And now that I've, you know, deconstructed from that, I look back and I'm like, wow, I had it really good compared to a lot of people who grew up in the church. you know, cause I wasn't really exposed to purity culture. I mean, I, I, I saw it around me. Like I knew what it was, but you know, and there was people in my life that were, but you know, my mom, she, she would be like, girl, go have sex, please. Like <laughs> figure out, you know, like, I'm like, yeah, she would literally tell me that. And I'd be like, no, you know, like, so it's just funny that, um, that, that yeah, it just wasn't a part of, of, of my growing up. Now, when I did become a Christian in my early twenties and, and I had your, you know, picture your textbook conversion story which is also really interesting and so I um you know I was at just at a Christian event and I was at a point in my life I was in my early 20s and I had just graduated from my undergrad and I was working as a as a behavior therapist full-time and I had it pretty good I mean I was making good money and and I was just you know, I was very young um and I had you know a lot of friends and I would just party and it was just kind of you know sort of, sort of just your typical early 20s you know life whatever and right. um And then, you know, I went, I went on a trip with, with some friends to Key West and just a lot of drinking and a lot of partying. And I got back and it was just, you're literally like textbook, like there has to be more to life than this, you know? And so I, (laughs) I ended up at a Christian conference and, you know, I, I, you know, kind of heard the gospel in the evangelical sense for the first time. And it just, it just clicked. It was something in me that I was like, I want to try this. Um, You know, and I, I think it was because, yeah, I had. I kind of had dabbled into a lot of different things since so I was like, okay, maybe this is a new thing I could try and see if it works. Um, but it just so happened that I ran into a, a cousin of mine, a family member that I hadn't seen since I was like five years old. And she's like, Hey, come to my church. And so, you know, and I started going to her church and, and I guess it was just kind of the community that was surrounded it. And all of that really attracted me. Now it was, um, it was a mega church. So it has like the, you know, the facade of being like, yeah, we're, we're progressive and we're mega church and we got the lights and we got all the cool stuff, but you know how that, how that is, (laughs) but theologically it's not that way. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I just, I, I just got really into it. And so I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And so I'm really, I I'm the type of person that when I get into something, I'm like all in 100%. Yes. Gung ho. And so that's how I, became about Jesus, you know, just like, this is it, you know. Um, and so that was sort of my kind of coming into faith uh, story. And so it's even funny, like now looking back, I think, okay, well, maybe this is what kind of led me to that or, or you know, this is where what attracted me, um, you know, but then yeah, I just became one of those very, very you know, legalistic, I guess you wanna say whatever you want to call it, fundamentalist type of Christian. So I pendulum swung. Um, and now I'm so, I've pendulum swung back. But but yeah, so
1: that's that's my story of coming to faith. Yeah. I I appreciate you talking about um, the evangelical mega church that kind of like feels like it may be progressive yeah. um, and they kind of like trick you into it because yeah. um, I mean I totally did that I was like I grew up on my family farm and mm-hmm. then I moved to Columbus which is not a huge city but to me it was like I'm moving to the big city yeah, um yeah. Columbus Ohio <laughs> and um, <laughs> I started going to this church who that met in a uh, movie theater Mm-hmm. and i was like this is it this is amazing it's a movie yeah. theater it's not even you know like it's not even in a church how can it be that yeah totally <laughs> you know <laughs> rigid like i was so excited about it and yeah they did like the whole community come to a small mm-hmm. group and it, it's not all bad i mean i no, i did totally. really well there but um now, you, like, on the other side, I kind of, like, look back and I'm like, hmm, they never actually said, like, what they believe about totally. LGBTQ rights or racism or any of that. Like, it was totally. just very, like, emotions-based, I guess, mm-hmm. um, which is really effective, honestly. Um oh, yeah. And
0: it's, yeah, this really,
2: so, yeah, like, it's like, we want to welcome you and we want to, you know, everyone, you know, everyone's welcome here and things like that. And so you feel like, especially as for me, someone that didn't grow up in the church, like oh, everybody wants that, you know, like they, yeah. they want to be welcomed and loved and they want community. And I really, and they were really good with that, you know? And, and I think mega churches have that positive aspect or whatever that they can, you know, foster this like sense of like belonging, you know, with their small groups and um, because they have to, I mean, they have no choice because the church is so big. So, so yeah, everybody right. wants it. And that really, really, really attracted me. Like I was like, yes, you know, I hadn't had that, growing up or or, you know i mean when you're high school and college like you just kind of float around from group to group or person to person and so for me that was just very 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 attractive um but yeah there's just so many little things that looking back were just so um abusive you know spiritually so manipulative and just so many things that i'm like oh man like you know you're on the right track and you have the right idea but But yeah, I mean, and I think it all goes back down to like what theology you hold to. What does your theology tell you? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to be the foundation of how you're going to practice, you know, what you believe essentially. So, so yeah, I totally get you on that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your journey, um, into where you are now. Um, so I was reading a little bit on your blog and you have this like, incredible journey of like twists and turns it's like you (laughs) I mean (laughs) right like you were a behavior therapist for six years and then you traveled the world and then you came back and then you enrolled in seminary and then you switched seminaries and you traveled along the way and you got married along the way like it's just it's such an interesting story and I'd love for you to kind of tell us just a little bit about like I mean, what made you go from behavior therapist to world traveler to seminary? Like what was the catalyst for all of those?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, um, okay, so yeah. So I would say the first big change in my life because I do very much see my life like separated into like before I became a Christian and after because, you know, obviously like it was a very, very big turning point in my life. Um, and then it kind of, I have like a second you know, kind of conversion of like going from fundamentalism to, I guess, progressive Christianity or whatever you want to call it. But I, um, so I was, I was a behavior therapist. You know, that's when I had my, 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 my very, you know, uh, outward conversion, whatever, <laughs> to Christianity. And so that was my first, you know, kind of like, okay, what am I doing with my life now? Um, I had been working at so behavior therapy was a very new. It's a newer, um, I guess, field. And when I started, it was in, oh my gosh, 2008 or 2009 and um, insurance companies still weren't picking it up. Like it was still very new. And I say that to to say that um, there was a lot of just fraud going on, like a lot of insurance fraud and like a lot of companies that I would work for, like they were just under the table, like just stealing money. And, And it was just because they could really. And so after I became a Christian, I was like, oh my goodness like I can't you know I can't work here like this is so like not you know ethical or whatever Um. so that was like my first change to kind of like moving out of that I was like you know now that I'm a Christian like I only care about Jesus So what do I do you know and so I had switched to, to from behavior therapy to working as a, as a teacher I was a special ed teacher I'm at a Christian school I did that for a couple of years and I had the summers off and so I started with just traveling on you know quote mission trips, um, and just going to like South America and things like that. Um, and that was even very formative for me, like as a Latina, you know, going to these countries that like, like I've said before, like, these are my people. And here I am, like, trying to be like some sort of white savior to them. Like, it just didn't make sense. But anyways, so I, I started traveling, like in the summers and, and going on these little trips. And then I started working for a missions organization, um, to lead summer trips. And then from there, I just, you know, traveling just became obviously like a passion. And, and I was able to do it, in, you know, traveling, I guess, like with a, with a purpose, you know, um, glorified, glorified traveling, you know, I would be able to serve or whatever. And um, so I was doing that in the summer. And then, um, yeah, one, one summer, I had, I had been teaching for a couple of years. And, And I was about to go back to, you know, I had the school year was about to start and I'm, I was sitting in, in, in Portland, Oregon somewhere. I don't remember. remember, And I was sitting at a coffee shop and it just kind of hit me like, I don't want to go back. Like, I, I just don't want to keep doing this. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to teach anymore. And I think teaching is incredible. I think, you know, if you are called to teach, that is like seriously amazing, but it just was something that I just, you know, I, I I wanted to, to do something different. And so, Um, that's kind of what my transition out of that. And I decided, I was like, I think I want to do ministry full time. Um, but back then I was still very much in, in the whole, you know, missions world. And so I was like, maybe I should be a missionary. And so I decided to actually go visit, um, different missions organizations across the, across the world. And so that's essentially how I started traveling. Um, and so I had friends, like I had a friend in Italy who she's serving as a missionary there and, um, and she's doing like sex trafficking work there. And so, and I had other friends in Peru, you know, kind of doing their own stuff there. And so I just would go and visit them stay for a couple months and then move on to the next location and throughout the way you know throughout each location I'm like should I stay here like you know is this where I'm supposed to like move to and nothing kind of like you know felt right I guess like I just kept coming home and I was like okay well you know and that's kind of how I started writing you know I met a I met a writer and she really mentored me and, and helped me start up my blog and just she's like you know you should write about your experiences and I was like all right you know I'm that sounds great. So I, you know, I started writing. Um, so I would come back and I would leave for a few months. I'd come back, you know, I'd write. Um, and I would, I, I was able to write for a few, like you know local magazines in Miami. So I kind of started, that's how my transition out of that. And then, um, one, you know, after I had been back for a few months, um, I, I visited new Orleans on a bachelorette party and I was just walking down, you know, bourbon street and I just fell in love with new Orleans. And as I had been, you know, visiting other countries and thinking like, should I stay here? Should I live here? And nothing, you know, kind of clicked, but New Orleans clicked. At that time I was in a relationship and I was like, you know, what am I going to do? Like, can I convince my boyfriend to move here with me? Like, obviously not. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what excuse do I have to move to New Orleans? And then I remembered, oh, there's a seminary here. So that was sort of like my, Oh, well, that this is perfect. I want to do ministry full time. I don't really have any direction right now. You know, I call it my, it was my, my quarter life crisis. I was 25 at the time. And I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, and I was like, seminary perfect, you know, I'm going back. like I, I hate to like over Enneagram talk, but I do feel like that's a lot of just my personality, you know, like all right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, screw it, whatever. Let's go. You know, I don't. I'm not the best at thinking things through. I'm more. I'm just like, let's go. Um, so yeah. So that was my transition to seminary, and it was mainly because I I wanted to live in New Orleans, and I was like, perfect. There's a seminary. This all works out. And I literally, within a month, I had packed up my stuff and just. I literally told my friends. I sat them down. I said, guys, I'm moving. And they're like, what, where? And I was like, New Orleans, like in two weeks. And they're like, okay. You know, and then I just showed up. I hadn't visited the school. I didn't know anything about the seminary. Um, yeah. You know, and back then, yeah, I didn't know. And that was another thing because I didn't grow up in a the church. There was still so much that I didn't, you know, like I didn't understand that this was fundamentalism. I didn't understand, you know, all I knew was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is Christianity. I don't know. You know what I mean? So it was just very much like- right ignorant sort of um you know transition but that's yeah so that was sort of the 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 move to that so I think every state of a stage or every I guess catalyst moment of moving would was just surrounded you know with like okay what's the next step or I want to you know like what are you doing God like let's see like what what else can we do Or, or you know how else can I experience you in life and you know and so it was just one step further each way um and then, yeah, then the transition from there here. So, so I would say those were like the the main little uh, steps.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Um. Oh, and you definitely do not have to worry about talking too much about the Enneagram. I <laughs> love the Enneagram so much. Okay. So I'm a four. So oh, okay. I'm I love like, hair, right? So it's like, we can talk about it all day long. I'm totally... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Down to plus my wife like hates that I talk about the Enneagram all the time. She's like, What is it again? (laughs) So don't worry about that. Um she like won't do the work to actually figure it out. Yeah. My personal uh opinion is she is probably a nine. Oh yeah, my Uh, husband's a nine. Yeah, but uh I don't know, she like she won't she won't, she won't do this. all the work, too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, give me a test. Just, just I'll just so take funny. a test, and yeah. it's never right. So, um, so funny. Uh-huh. yeah, uh, that's interesting that you talk about um, your experience as a Latina woman doing the whole mission trip thing, mm-hmm. um, because, I, I mean, I was taught that missions were like the thing, like you, you take every opportunity you possibly can. And, um, I care really deeply about people. And also I'm a four. So like, I like to be different. So Mm -hmm. people kind of picked up on that. And like, I remember like even my pastor's wife being like, you are meant for missions. Like you Mm -hmm. would just be so fantastic as a missionary because Mm -hmm. I care about people, because I like to be different because I like change. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, uh, and so the way it's so interesting now seeing how people kind of picked up on those little things and kind of pushed me yeah. towards missions. And that was actually the plan for a really long time was oh, wow. to move to Uganda. Mm-hmm. I, um, my, so I was a social work major. And so my plan was to finish school and move mm-hmm. to Uganda and oh, work wow. as a social worker there. Yeah. Um, I actually, I didn't finish school. So like, that's a whole nother conversation. But my life kind of like took this other turn, which I'm so thankful for now. Mm -hmm. um, But at the time was so uh, tragic to, you
2: know, uh, to put it
1: bluntly um, for me at, you know, 21, realizing it wasn't going to work that way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would love to talk um, a little bit about, what you think about mission trips now like on the other side as a latino woman do you have um i'm sure you do uh, an opinion on mission trips the way they're done um i keep seeing a lot of people particularly people of color and especially on twitter talk about mission trips and how damaging it can be um so i'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that
2: oh yeah um that's such a good question, and i I feel like my my thoughts on that are constantly evolving, I think, just from hearing you know obviously other people's thoughts and ideas um, so I would say the most basic um, thought I have towards that would be besides you know obviously besides colonialism and just you know uh, white savior and all of that, I would say um, as a latina woman, I guess that's what I'll focus on so. Ada Maria Sassi-Diaz, She she's a mother of Mojeri theology, and something that she talks about, because she she's actually Cuban, and she, she passed away already, but she's Cuban, and she uh, worked in Peru as a missionary, and that's where she kind of developed this, and the basis of what she talks about is, um, in Muharisa theology is that a lot of times when we do missions or when we interact with the poor or the marginalized, or when we interact with particularly women of color that are poor, um, cause you know, that would be a very marginalized group. She says that, you know, a lot of, like, we approach them with this view or this idea of like, you know, we have, you know, the, the, the right theology or we have the gospel or we, we have something that we have to offer you and teach you and give you and that you must receive. Um, and so what she kind of teaches or what she tries to undo is that, that really that view of just like, we only have, or, or, you know, marginalized people or immigrants or, or, you know, people that are on the receiving end of missions, like that's all that they can do is receive what we have to give. And so what she's undoing is like, well, no, um, these people have a lot to also offer and a lot to give. And so just because, you know, someone is is poor or just because someone is, you know, in in a marginalized position doesn't mean that we can't learn from them. Uh, doesn't mean that they don't have anything that they can give to us. Um, actually, a friend of mine on Twitter, Karen, uh, she talks about like, you know, she's like, I hate that they, that people use this, this language of like, oh, we should welcome the immigrants. It's not just so much of welcoming, you know, them. It's, it's like, they are people that are made in the image of God that have stuff that they can teach that they offer. Like there, it's not just so sort of like, oh, here I'm letting you in and you should be happy that, you know? And so I think mission's, it It would be the same idea, and that's and, and I'm only speaking in that nuance because there's so much more I mean, like I said, the whole white savior, the whole colonialism, but my I guess all I want to add to that would be um, when I think of of me traveling to other countries, I was young, I was brand, you know brand new in the faith i um, yeah i didn't you know just because i I had money. And I, and I had the privilege to be able to travel and go somewhere else doesn't mean that I have anything more that I could offer anybody that I was there, you know, like they had life experience and just that survival, of, you know, just theology, you know, I call it abuelita theology, theology of survival, you know, that's, there's so much more that we can learn from people in other countries than than we could possibly teach them. And so I would say that like, that's my little you know thing when it comes to missions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all just so messed up, so much of it, which is so sad. And what's what makes it so tricky is that it's all, you know, quote, done in the right heart. You know, like, I mean, even you, I would imagine when you wanted to go to Uganda it was with the right intentions, you know, like you didn't have any right. like a bad, you know. And so that's why it's so tricky, right? Like, a lot of us, when we go, we're just ignorant. We just don't know any better, you know? Um, and I'll say that's, that's a lot on the churches that are sending us, but anyways, yeah. So I guess that's what I would have to say about
1: that. Yeah. Um, I like that. And I like, um, I, I think that that's a really healthy way um, of looking at it uh, as well as that, like these people that we are told we need to save don't necessarily need saving i mean they have so mm-hmm. much stuff um you know yeah, that we can learn thing. from mm-hmm.
2: yeah and that's another thing sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but um a lot of these places if you think about it we go to like a lot of southern american countries or a lot of countries in africa or a lot of these places that are christian like they're very mm-hmm. much christian and so it's like well what are we actually accomplishing because i'm going to south america and all of these people are pretty catholic but a lot of evangelicals don't think catholics are even Christian. so but they're very much catholic they very much believe in jesus and we're just we just are convincing ourselves that they need to hear the gospel over and over and over and be saved from catholicism or be saved from whatever form of christianity that they're already you know which is even more of like a mm-hmm. warped you know but anyway sorry go ahead
1: <laughs> yeah no no i appreciate that um and i think you're so right i mean yeah i went on um mission trips to like dominican republic and yeah. to mexico and then like honestly in my eighth grade mind in mexico i was like surprised i like saw like crucifixes and i'm like mom yeah. they know jesus <laughs> and my mom like, well yeah kind of like they know mm-hmm. kind of jesus but not our way of mm-hmm. jesus. But, like i kept hearing that and i was like oh my goodness like now thinking back i'm like oh, these yeah, people like yes given we went and built the school which is amazing but like we were I was so focused on, like, they need to believe the way we need to believe, or Mm -hmm. they need to say the sinner's prayer in English the exact way Mm -hmm. that I said it in order to be saved, like,
2: totally,
1: I don't know, that's a, that's a a whole thing,
2: um,
1: but I, that's such a good segue into, um, I really want to kind of talk about more theological, uh, things here, um, in the podcast, so, You're finishing your degrees at Fuller Seminary, and you're focusing on New Testament, gender, and Latino studies. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if you uh, will talk to us a little bit about that. Um, First, just kind of tell us, you know, what does it mean to be focusing on gender and Latino studies? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, like, what's got you really fascinated or interested in your theological work right now?
2: yeah great question. so uh okay so I started when I started seminary when I started at you know the this the first seminary that I was at um, I fell in love with with the Greek text. I fell in love you know when I started learning Greek, I just completely fell in love with with the Greek text with the New Testament and it was mainly because um so much that I had so so I started seminary about maybe two years or, yeah, about two years after I, you know, became a Christian. So, so much of what I had been learning in those two years, you know, very, very, very much like very reformed and very, um, you know, that kind of theology. I, like, I started to, you know, kind of read the text. Oh, I guess I'll say this, like going back to the reform thing. Like I was a very much like hardcore five point Calvinist, like,
1: yes, you know,
2: like very much. And so that was one of the things that when I started seminary and started kind of you know getting into the the new testament text and realizing you know you cannot you know you you cannot hold to five points of anything as strongly as many people hold to because it's constantly i mean you know Jesus will say one thing and then he'll turn around and say another thing and it's completely contradicting each other you know what i mean and then you know you you have to try and mm-hmm. make sense of that and why wait why would he say this here but then say this here like how does that make sense and and so that was the kind of the first thing for me that I was like, Whoa, okay, wait a minute. Like the way that we've been reading Jesus is completely wrong. The way that we've been reading, you know, the new Testament is completely wrong. Um, And, and by wrong, I just mean very ill-informed and very uneducated, you know, I mean, we're reading the Bible without any knowledge of the first century without any knowledge of, you know, that, that kind of, you know, or or, or what the context is in a lot of evangelicalism. I don't mean everywhere. I just mean in the kind of, you know, where, where, what I had been, in the local churches that I had been a part of. And so, and I think that's another thing that, you know, a lot of these mega churches, a lot of local churches, like they don't, they don't have to do that hard work of getting really into the context and because people are going to come because, you know, because of the community or because of this, or because of that, you know, and it's, and it's just easy. You don't have to get into the, the, details of that. Cause it's a lot of hard work. You know, people spend their entire lives studying scripture, you know, only to kind of finish, you know, get to the end of their life and be like, yeah, I have no idea about any of it, you know, but um, but anyways, right. I just, I just fell in love with that. And I just fell in love with just how complicated, but also how simple and just how beautiful it really is. Like, you know, when you, when you understand Jesus's political, you know, messages, or, or what you know, what that meant, you know, that he said that he is Lord, you know, or, or that people said that Jesus is Lord, like what that meant in regard to Caesar not being Lord, and just things like that that are just so easily missed. And so I fell in love with that. I fell in love with, and and also I'm the type of person I I actually love Paul. Like I know a lot of people hate Paul. But I just feel like Paul is really, is just misunderstood and misread a lot of the times. Now, of course, Paul says some really weird things, um, but I think there's a reason for why he said what he said in the times that he said it in the, to the churches that he said it to, like there are reasons for that. And I think that, you know, we do as such a disservice to the church and to ourselves as Christians, when, you know, we don't take the time to understand or learn or, or, you know, whatever, especially as leaders. And I'll speak from, from, a, from a leader's point of view, someone who, who feels, you know, uh, feels called or I guess led or whatever to, to be someone that teaches or to be someone that leads the church. And so I feel like, yeah, it's my, my mission to, my job to know this stuff anyways so that's kind of um how i got into new testament just falling in love and just really it was that like deconstruction and 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 my deconstruction started in you know in greek exegesis courses it started out of you know i was taking a greek exegesis course of of the parables of jesus and you know just literally people like you know I, i think i tweeted this once but like evangelicals are like wow you know jesus is clear what he says in scripture and then jesus himself is like Literally saying that he's not clear, you know. So it's like so just trying to understand that. Like, what did Jesus mean? Like, what is what is even a parable? How did people in the first century speak? Why did they, you know, why did he choose to speak this way? What is the rhetoric, you know? Like, um, so that was a, a how I really got into that and just wanting to deconstruct a lot of just ways that the Bible is taken hostage, um, and then. I got into gender um, while I was there, you know, I was getting married and and of course, everything is like, oh, you know, wife's role or whatever, you know, biblical womanhood or all that. And me just growing up in Miami as a Latina woman it's just very different. You know, I didn't grow up in the South. I didn't grow up. And so the way that I was raised was just very different than, than the way a lot of women around me at that time, you know, uh, the, the way that they were raised. And so, and even the men, I mean, literally people did not know what to do with me. They would look at me like a deer in headlights because I I was loud and I was opinionated. And, you know, I was just confident in that confident in my opinions and in my being loud. And, you know, and I just didn't shy away from that because that's how I was raised, you know, in, in, in Latino culture, like there, women are very much matriarchs. I mean, you have your abuelas, your, your grandmothers that are like the matriarch of the family, you know, and, and women are very much, um, yeah. I mean, women are strong and they're independent. I was raised, my, my grandfather died before I was born. So my grandmother was a single grandmother, you know, for, she raised her kids as a single woman and my mom was a single mom, you know? And so growing up with such strong women in my life, you know, I, I get to like the subculture of the subculture of the subculture of fundamentalism, you know, very like, and it was just like, people literally did not know what to do with me. And so, you know, I got into a lot of just Crop with pastors and seminary professors because I would challenge a lot of beliefs that just didn't make sense to me, um, and so that's kind of what what um, started my whole journey of just figuring out this whole gender thing. Because very, I was very much so a quote complementarian back then. That's all I knew. That's what I thought was right and true. I didn't know anything else, and so um, so yeah, so getting into the Greek text then kind of led me into getting into like, well, let's let's kind of get into like you know, women or gender when it comes to to the Bible and all that. Um, and then as I was, you know, I, I was engaged and trying to figure all that out. And, and then from one day to the other, you know, my husband and I kind of realized, like, okay, wait a minute, like, we're, I think that we're no longer holding on to this, you know, whole women's role thing. Like we, you know, after literally it was a year of like just really studying scripture and really getting to the bottom of it. We're like, okay, yeah. So we're definitely not complementarians. Are we even, you know, we're definitely not Southern Baptist. So let's get the heck out of here. You know? So that was like, the that was like, how I got into the whole gender thing. And then in that, so when I, so we left that seminary and we left because of the gender thing. Um, well, Partly because there was other reasons too, which I'll get to. But uh and and so when we left, I wrote a blog post titled My Official Breakup with Complementary Theology. And I posted it on Facebook and and it obviously blew up on my Facebook because everybody on my, you know, my my Facebook friends were were from that school or from their, you know, um you know, whatever context or background, whatever. And um And so when they, you know, it blew up, you know, it's called a heretic and all this stuff. Like people were just really pissed off that I said that, you know, hey, I'm no longer a complementarian, like women should be pastors, et cetera. Um, And so that at first, you know, people just... X me out as like, oh, this, you know, she's following her feelings or whatever people want to say. And then, um, but then a lot of stuff started coming out about sexual abuse in the church and, you know, domestic abuse and, you know, all of this stuff starts coming out. And then people are like, oh, well, wait a minute, Kat. Hey, can I have some resources? You know? And so that's when I started seeing like, wow, there are, and, you know, and a lot of people just started reaching out to me in secret, like in private, like, oh, you know, I've been thinking this, but I don't want to say it. And, and, you know, cause that's how they grew up. I mean, you know, kind of, and I'm sure you understand that aspect of it, of just growing up in a small town or growing up and that's just how it is, you know, and here I come out of nowhere, this, you know, loud, opinionated Latina, you know, that they've never, I was the only woman of literally one of two women, or I mean, I guess three, literally three women of color in the entire school. Everybody else was white. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. And then there was, I think two like black men um, and that was it. It was just something ridiculous like that, like utterly ridiculous but um yeah so anyways uh so it was just kind of first coming into the whole gender thing and then through my experiences seeking scripture and thinking oh no this is you know and then at the, throughout all that while all of the gender stuff is happening it's the 2016 election and all of a sudden and, and I just wrote about this but everybody you know obviously is voting for Trump and talking about Trump and and I was working as a college minister in Tulane. And, and I had students of color, like, you know, Mexican students that were getting harassed by, you know, white fraternity guys about, you know, whatever about the wall and, and all this building a wall, and I would go to class. So, so my my students that I work with are getting harassed, literally, and then I go to class, and everyone's, you know, talking about how why you need to vote for Trump. And it was just the most confusing thing, you know, like, I was just like, what in the world? And then so that's when, you know, the whole, race thing came into came into you know the picture um so then when we left i think that's when i you know i got here and then kind of or by here i mean california i started i transferred to fuller and that's when i started you know kind of all right wait a minute we need to look into this whole this whole race thing and and just start from scratch um and that's when I, i you know i started reading the history of like latinx studies in 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 the caribbean and cuba and dominican republic and you know that area in the caribbean and like how did christianity get there and like because those are countries that you know people love to go to and 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 quote share the gospel with and so you know let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of that um and, and what do we need to undo like what's what damaging stuff do we need to and i think that's sort of my focus um is just like okay. What has been what damage has been done that we can try and undo? <laughs> that we can try and you know educate people on. Because what's crazy is that you know a lot of people like like I said I, I wrote I wrote about um, the history of of Christianity in Cuba, and Cubans like I mean like ninety percent of the people that I know in Miami are Cubans and they just had no idea you know like they didn't know because that's not there's no focus on that it's not taught I mean you're taught. White theology, right? And so, the, nobody had any idea. Did not know the history of Christianity in Cuba. Did not know the history of Christianity in most Latin ex countries. It's just, it would, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, this is European and this is where it came from, and this is where, you know. Um, and so for me, I, I want to be able to dig that up, you know, dig up, um, just stuff that, like I said, that that's that's been damaging that needs to be undone or just stuff that hasn't even been taught or hasn't even been looked into i um
1: have so enjoyed it seems and maybe it's just because now i'm finally paying attention but it seems like in the last couple of years especially since the 2016 election Mm -hmm. a lot um of people of color a lot of immigrants have started talking about well you know in my culture this is taught, or this is what we learned, and it's just been whitewashed by American Mm -hmm. uh, evangelicalism or Christianity. Um, Like, for example, um, I don't know if you follow her, Caitlin Curtis, um, Mm -hmm. she's a Native American uh, writer, and she is constantly talking about things that uh, are taught in Native American, like, theology or just their culture, Mm -hmm. and I think, like, wow like it, this is what was here when white people showed up and we thought mm-hmm. it wasn't good enough. Yeah, um, totally. So I, I love that um, I personally am getting to learn um, a, a lot more about that um, and about other cultures and not just American Christianity. Um, yeah, because
2: that's just and, been like the baseline, you know, and it's like, well, no, yeah. there's been, like, God has been working. He was already working in the Native American peoples before, you know, the Europeans got here. He was already working or, you know, God, he, she already working in, you know, Latinx countries before, you know, Columbus, et cetera, got mm-hmm. there, you know, and so it's uncovering that how is God working? How was, you know, um, so yeah, totally, totally. I, I hear you on that
1: yeah well, and the other thing I was um, thinking about as you were talking through that is um, it's so funny how gender uh, ends up being the thing, you know, mm-hmm. like the thing no one wants to give up is mm-hmm. the gender yeah. roles and the theology around that. So I cool. mean, yeah, they so we'll die on that I mean, I, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I don't talk that much about gender just because I end up talking about more LGBTQ, um, totally. sort of theology, but my very first, um, thing that I got published with relevance mm-hmm. was basically kind of tearing down the Proverbs 31 woman.
2: Yep. I mean,
1: <laughs> I just started talking about, and I was like, well, you know, who wasn't a Proverbs 31 woman? Every woman Everyone. highlighted in the Bible, like <laughs> right, like Priscilla, um, yeah. like I just started naming uh, all of these women in the Bible, I was like, God used them, and they were not Proverbs 31 women, and the response I got, oh my goodness, it was like, well, I guess we just won't follow Jesus anymore, and I'm like, Proverbs and Jesus, like that doesn't even make any sense, like, yeah, it's crazy, so I, I think that's interesting, yeah that's like part of your story too like gender Mm -hmm. ends up being the thing and I I don't know I mean but I think that yeah that um, just goes
2: to yeah and that just goes to show you like how how dangerous patriarchy is you know how dangerous like because it's that like people will literally I mean you know, you have like your 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 evangelicals are like, you know, you are saved by grace and grace alone and saved by faith and like nothing you can do, you know, like, can separate you from God. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, women pastors, bah, you're a heretic. Like, <laughs> you know, we can't listen. Yeah. To and I mean, and the same thing with LGBTQ, right? Like, I mean, it's just, and, and I think that's what's just so it just doesn't make sense right like it's just well you're saying one thing but yet you're willing to die on this this issue of gender or you're willing to like you know die on the hill of you know but you're th- but you're supposedly your theology is saying that 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 nothing can can you know separate you from god except for for faith or grace or whatever you know what i mean so yeah it's just very right. very, very very confusing but oh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so i was reading through your blog and there. Um, was this one piece that from the very first time um, I saw it, which I think was around the time that it came out um, Mm -hmm. earlier this summer, um, I have not been able to shake. Like I Mm -hmm. have thought about it so much. And it's um, this piece that you titled Why Bad Theology Matters. Mm -hmm. And I want to read just like a little excerpt from it so that our listeners kind of understand where we're coming from. And then I'd like to talk about it um, a little bit here and about, uh, what you mean by -hmm. what you say. So, um, you wrote, it's easy when you idolize certain Christian figures and think everything they teach is from God's own mouth because, well, it doesn't really require much, uh, I'm sorry, much thinking for yourself. And frankly, I think many church leaders don't want you to actually think for yourself because you might come to different conclusions. It's mm-hmm. also easier when things are taught to you as black and white because you can learn to ignore the gray areas and just pretend that most of life doesn't actually take place in the gray areas. I'll just be real. The less you know about Christianity, the easier it is to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to talk to, about that just a little bit here. I mean, what do you mean by that last little bit? The less you know about Christianity, the easier it is to be a Christian.
2: Yeah. um, So kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about um, that a lot of, a lot of people like don't know the history, like the deep, dark history of, you know, for example, Christianity in, or, or yeah, I mean, like, are you mentioned like Caitlin Curtis, how people don't know what happened, you know, to like what really happened to, you know, the indigenous people that were living here, you know, before the, the European you know, before Europeans got here, people don't actually know like the deep, dark, just atrocious truths about, you know, how, like, for example, in Cuba, when Columbus got there, you know, when the Spanish church got there, they literally would, tell people you need to baptize you need to repent and be baptized or we will murder you and they would murder people if they wouldn't you know quote convert to christianity you know but that's not obviously we all know that's not true conversion to christianity and we all know that that's colonization i mean we all know that you know but that's not taught you know like that's not i mean when you go to your churches when you when you're sitting at your little mega church on sunday mornings like of course they 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 never address you know just the damage that christianity has done and i think when you you know when you study church history when you study um yeah just the, the 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 history of how christianity spread or, or just just a lot of just the the crap that went down i mean it is rough you know i i wrote a piece about um just yeah like that i well, actually i wrote a paper about it and then i developed it into like a, a like an article but my paper i mean it was like a 30 page paper on the Spanish church and, you know, the the Catholic church and, and, you know, how atrocious like what they did to the Daino people of the Caribbean, you know, and it is, it is horrible. I mean, rape, you know, of of women and, and slavery and, you know, and then you have evangelicalism know there was this guy on Twitter. He, he, it was big a couple months ago. I think it was this summer. um, When I think when they came out with the whole, um, what was it? The racial, the social justice or that thing that John MacArthur came out with, I forgot what it's called, but it was like the social justice, you know, and he, how he was talking about like anti-social justice. And this one person that signed it on Twitter, he had, he had put a picture of like this man and he was a white, you know, an older white man, white man. And he said, you know, this, this man lived in, he's, he was, he's an African citizen. He was like a quote, a missionary in Africa or whatever. And um, and he said, you know, this man is African and he's white. And so kind of, saying, like, oh, racism, you know, there's no such thing as racism because he's African and he's white and he lived in Africa, Um, you know, whatever. And so he goes on to, like, make this point of, like, how how this man, you know, what he's done in Africa is just so wonderful and, like, he's coming here and he loves Jesus, but he's also, like, not, you know, into social justice. And then someone else on Twitter, like, went into the background of this guy and it turns out that his, quote, missionary efforts in Africa, he was actually working for, like, the, um, like, anti... like like uh, working to fight against the rebels that were trying to fight against like the colonizers. So he was literally like- Oh my (laughs) god, Yeah, like his missionary work was enslaving, like literally fighting against like African rebels who are fighting for their own freedom, you know? And so it was just like, that. that's how warped and how deeply just atrocious so much of Christianity is. And so when you start learning that, like, you know, because you're like, oh, wow, you know, these missionaries they have been living here for so long. Yeah, but they also killed off half the, you know, and so it's just so, mm-hmm. um, oh, just so horrible. And so I went through like this, like, um, I forgot what I called it, but it was like, you know, it was this genuine, as I was writing this paper, just sadness, just utter and complete like mourning of, of of just yeah of just christianity and the church and faith and and oh this is horrible like this is how you know we got here and this oh you know it hurts like it's painful and so i think that's where that you know when i wrote that like the less you know about christianity the easier it is to be a christian because and that's the thing that's why they want to keep you uninformed that's why churches don't go into like you know this 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 history or this, you know. Um, and now I think there's a there's a little bit of more there's more pressure. And so I know that like the SBC came out with this whole thing about their their racism, their history of racism and all that. Um and I think it's important. I thought that was great. That's fine. That's a good first step. Okay. But how are we gonna now what's the next step? You know, how are we gonna, you know, Fix this. Um, but I say all that to say that, you know, it's easy to not teach that. It's easy to just, oh, the gospel, the gospel, you know, like talk about the gospel, Jesus, but like not actually talk about what, how that uh, has been harmful or how people have, quote, used the gospel to just completely and utterly destroy, you know, people. There's this theologian, I don't know if you've read him, his name is Willie Jennings, and he, um, he wrote he he spoke at, at some lectures here at fuller um and he has book he has a, a, a several books out but um i would highly recommend it's he has this uh it's an essay and it's a, it, he wrote it or and he sorry he read it um a paper that he wrote at the lectures but it's called um, can white people be saved and his whole thing is that you know white supremacy is so deeply embedded into just, like, power and control, and, um, I mean, that it, it even goes as far as, like, the fact that that white men felt like they need to, you know, even enslave animals. Like, he was, like, even the way that, like, if you think about how food is created in this country, it's, like, we shove animals into, like, you know, these these slaughterhouses or into these, you know, they don't see daylight. We inject them with hormones so that they can't even walk. It's like, there's no, there's absolutely no awareness or no, you know, um, there's no care for anything. It's just about power and control. What can we get the most out of, you know, how can we get the most out of everything from a chicken to, you know, I mean, the, the, the history of slavery, there's, you know, it's insane. So anyways, I say all that to say that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the more that you learn about that, the harder it, like, you just want to be like, you know what, this whole thing is just corrupt. This whole thing is just, just terrible and horrible, you know, but then it's just Jesus, right? Like I, I've tweeted this, but it just all comes back to Jesus. Like, why do we keep doing this? And I 100% thousand million percent believe that Jesus is that's not what he intended right like that is not like whether it's shoving animals into slaughterhouses and injecting them with hormones or you know keeping a human as a slave or you know baptize or will murder you like that is not you know like what Jesus meant and so I think that that's just what you know a lot of us are fighting for right like we're just trying to undo a lot of that and fighting for getting to what did jesus like what was the point of all of this and i don't think it was what you guys say it is (laughs) you know what a lot of or or what it's been um
1: so yeah so that's what in regards to that yeah so i just wrote down um that theologian and that um title yeah of that essay and i will link that for all of our listeners because that sounds amazing um Okay, so we are coming up here on an hour and I want to be mindful of your time. So I have two questions that I ask everybody. Mm -hmm. And then we'll wrap up. What population of people do you think the church um, could be more welcoming to?
2: oh man, so, so, so many. Um, so I will say just as like, for one, as a Latina, and I know that the immigration is a huge topic right now. Um, and yeah, you know, there is this just utter fear around the other quote, you know? Um, and so I think that just whatever fear, you know, people have toward someone that they don't understand or don't, um, yeah, I think that, that, that needs to be undone. And so, um, immigrants are one, um, and, and it's weird because I, I come from a, a you know, a family of immigrants, but yet, you know, they've been so sheltered in, in their experiences. A lot of people in Miami that, you know, a lot of people that I know that I grew up with are also anti-immigrant, which is so weird. Um, but it's just this, this fear, you know? And so I will say, um, you know, the fear of of, of immigrants and and, um, that people group. And also, of course, you know, the LGBTQ community. Um, And that's one that I know that is being really, like people are really fighting for. Um, And so, yeah, I would say those are are people that, are groups of people that the church really needs to to change when it comes to how they interact with them. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, so this uh, podcast um, is all about making room on the pew for the misfits and for the outcasts um so I'm I'm wondering (laughs) oh thank (laughs) thank Mm -hmm. you um so this was kind of born out of my own um need to wrangle out of the church a place for me um which is interesting my wife is actually a pastor so I'm like a pastor's Mm -hmm. wife still trying to like figure figure this out um so I, I would love um, to hear, like, if you have any ideas about how we could all collectively make um, immigrants, specifically, since we've talked a lot about that, um, feel more welcomed and actually wanted in the life of the church.
2: Yeah. So um, I, I spoke with a friend of mine on actually on, on my podcast, uh, the, the second to last episode that I just posted. And she she's a Black woman and she's writing a book on uh, friendship as a means of racial reconciliation. And I thought that was really cool because it it's so easy for a lot of us to like, when we talk about justice work, you know, it's easy to talk about protest or, you know, how can we do this? And, or, or just strategies or ways that we can get, you know, people of color uh, in, you know, in their the rightful place that they deserve to be in, you know. Um, but I I just thought my conversation with her was just so interesting because, you know, her take is just like, well, one friendship at a time and one deep friendship at a time. Um and also, yes, the other stuff too, 150%. Um but um I think that a lot of my views on things have changed by just making connections with people that I don't understand, or I may not, you know, Um, and so when it comes to what can the church do, um, man, if we can model that, right, like model that friendship, and and my uh, my friend, her name is uh, Tisha, and Tisha, she makes a joke, like, and and I'm not talking about, like, friendship bracelets, or I'm not talking about, like, you know, grabbing one cup of coffee with someone and calling it reconciliation, like, but, like, deep friendships, Um, and I think, if, if we like, as the church can, can take the lead in modeling that, you know, like modeling, like, like what does deep friendship look like? Or what does deep relationship look like? Um, besides everything else that we should be doing, right? Like besides um, the justice work and the fighting and the speaking up on behalf of other people. But I think um, just modeling that and, 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 and inviting others to model friendship like friendship as sacred resistance right um so i would say that would be something that i would
1: i think that would be great that we should totally do yeah i love that um i was thinking like as you were talking um so of of course you know i have believed that um immigrants and people who are different than myself um, should be welcomed into the church, but I honestly did not have a lot of experience with um, people who are immigrants. Um, Like, I don't know, that was just my own ignorance from, you know, my small town, Ohio self. Like I just, I did not have friends who Mm -hmm. were immigrants. And um, now so my day job is working at um, a call center Mm -hmm. for A radiology group and the majority of the people that I work with are immigrants or the children of immigrants Mm -hmm. and it has changed me so much just me in and of myself to sit and talk with my friend from work who is uh, sitting in front of me almost in tears saying I can't get my boyfriend into the country he lives mm, in Trinidad, yeah. and, and he can't get here. Mm. Um, I mean that you're right. That friendship has made so much difference. You know, it's yeah. kind of helped make that jump from like, Oh, of course everyone is welcome to like, this is a serious issue that needs to be, uh, reconciled now. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Um, that take on the friendship for racial reconciliation. I love that. Um, Okay, well, we um, are going to go ahead and just wrap up here. We are right at one hour. Um, So before we go, could you tell everybody where to find you, where to find your work, where to find your podcast, let everyone know where they can connect with you.
2: Yeah. So um, my website is catarmus.com and there you can find a link to my podcast, um, which is called the protagonistas. And it just focuses on women of color and and theology and church leadership. Um, And, and yeah, and and I'm also on Twitter under cat underscore armus. Um, And, but yeah, my website will have all the information that you need. So thank you so much for this.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And uh, for all of our listeners, I will, um, like link all of those things. So you can find Kat too, because I know everyone's going to want to follow you after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.
0: We'll speak soon. (laughs) Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kat today. I know I did. I learn so much from her uh, all the time, whether it's on Twitter, on her podcast, at her blog. Uh, So make sure to connect with her if you enjoyed this podcast episode today. Uh, you can find Kat on Twitter at cat underscore armis and at catarmus.com. You can also listen to her podcast called The Protagonistas on Apple Podcasts. I'm sure it's on a couple other platforms as well. Just make sure to search for that. You can also grab a bag of coffee from Kat's Coffee Roasting Company at TheRunningOver.com. Okay, friends, one last thing here before I sign off. If this podcast is encouraging you or positively impacting you in any way, please take a few seconds to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. That really helps new listeners find this content. And if it is good for you, I hope it will be good for others who find us along the way. Of course, you can always connect with me as well on my website, Baileyjoewelch.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Bailey jo Welch. Now, once you get there, either to my website or my Instagram or Twitter page, you will notice that it does say Bailey Welch Pomerantz because I did just get married in November. But I am going to go ahead and leave the handles and the actual web address as Bailey jo Welch so you guys can find me a little bit easier. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.